This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There is more to the story than just postpartum depression. This podcast aims to share it all, from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to new parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I am your host, perinatal mental health certified psychologist, Dr. Kat. In this episode, we are diving into the topic of postpartum depression. What is it? What are the risk factors? And what are some of the long-term effects of postpartum depression if left untreated? Our guest today, Dr. Christina Delagenitas, received her medical degree from and completed her psychiatry residency and chief residency in psychopharmacology research at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. After residency, she completed a visiting fellowship and further training in multimodal Neuroimaging at the Massachusetts General Hospital, Martino Center for Biomedical Imaging. She joined faculty at Zucker Hillside Hospital, the Feinstein Institutes for Medical Research, and the Donald and Barbara Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell in September of 2016. She is board certified by the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology and currently serves as the Director of Women's Behavioral Health at Zucker Hillside Hospital. As a reproductive psychiatrist, she has expertise in treating women with mood and anxiety disorders linked to the menstrual cycle, pregnancy, postpartum, and perimenopause. We are so grateful to have her on today, so we are going to dive right in. Let's meet Dr. Della Janitas. Welcome, Dr. Della Janitas. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Really excited to get into our topic today. A lot of people have misconceptions around postpartum depression, and I think we'll be able to give people a lot of information to help them really understand how postpartum depression manifests and what it is, and also to be able, from from your perspective as as a professional, as a clinician, uh, the things that you see on your end with patients. So I I would love to first start with how you came to this specialty. Sure. So it was definitely a long-term trajectory. If I look back, um, even in college, I was always really interested in the brain and in hormones. And then in medical school, I absolutely loved my obstetric rotations and my psychiatry rotations. And 
anything to do with hormones in the brain and women's health, it seemed to be where I wanted to be. And so in residency, I I decided to do a psychiatry residency. And it was actually my first year as an intern. And I was asked to take care of a woman who presented to our inpatient unit soon after she delivered. She gave birth maybe just a couple of weeks. And she presented with postpartum psychosis, um, Mm -hmm. obviously different than postpartum depression. Um, But I was so I was so impacted by her presentation, her, you know, this is a woman who didn't have any history of depression or anxiety or or anything. And how quickly after delivering this, this beautiful baby, you know, her psychiatric symptoms began and, and she was unable to care for herself or her baby or for her, for her family. And so Mm -hmm. I was destructive how, giving birth, how, how having a baby and delivering a baby could bring about such changes for right. a new mother. And so I've really dedicated my life to leading the research to understand how perhaps female hormones during pregnancy and after delivery can trigger changes in the brain and educating women and caring for women clinically for women who develop perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, especially perinatal depression. Yeah. Well, that is such an interesting introduction into the perinatal mental health world, right? That can't, that witnessing somebody experiencing those symptoms is yes. is quite a thing. She's impacted me for my life. I mean, I can still think of her, her family, her baby. Mm-hmm. She, she did very well with treatment, but it was a devastating, you know, impact for her and, and her family. And, and yeah, and that's, that's why we're here today. So yeah, absolutely. So in, in terms of the shift into your your research and postpartum depression, what kinds of things are you looking at? Well, as you know, postpartum depression is a major depressive episode that can occur either during pregnancy or after giving birth. So our research has really focused at looking at different sex steroids and hormones that our bodies make as women, especially in large amounts as we progress in pregnancy and then fall off or or crash after delivery. Mm -hmm. And I use brain imaging techniques to try to understand how those hormones interact with brain function. It could potentially act as a trigger for developing Mm -hmm. the main signs and symptoms of depression that we see in women during this time. I would love for you to to share with us anything you can about this research so that, you know, I think a lot of, well, I know for sure, a lot of people who are experiencing postpartum depression feel, you know, like, like failures and feel like it's, they're doing something wrong. So the fact that you are looking at very specific physiological brain components to this that can help us understand this, um, as opposed to, let's say, blaming ourselves, that's so, so, so important for the, you know, the person who's experiencing it. Before we get into those kinds of details, can you walk through a little bit of what is postpartum depression? Absolutely. So for each woman, you know, it can be different, but the women I I see and take care of usually, you know, report to me a a mix of emotional, physical, and other symptoms. And so things that I want women to to look out for are depressed moods of sadness, loss of interest and pleasure, and the things that they used to love. Women will stop and, you know, they'll stop doing their hobbies or activities they won't be looking forward to the baby shower. They won't be looking forward to the delivery, or maybe they're not enjoying their their little one as they thought they would. The sleep difficulties that they report, it's not just about being pregnant or just 
having to, you know, to wake to, to feed an infant every couple of hours. These are difficulty falling asleep, difficulty staying asleep, early awakening. The appetite disturbances we see, women report a severe, usually loss. Women can have increased appetite too, but mm-hmm. I find that many of my patients report really a, a loss of desire to eat, a loss mm-hmm. of the taste of food just isn't there anymore. Yeah. Some women present more irritable and anxious, agitated. And then often women, as you know, they feel guilty. They feel that they brought this on, that there is some sort of internal weakness and they can feel worthless or helpless or hopeless. And then, you know, a subset of women in severe depression, they can think about, you know, that because the guilt is so overwhelming, they feel like they're not doing their part. They're not contributing. They're not being the mother they should, you know, quote unquote, should have been. Mm-hmm. And they start to, to wonder if, you know, they, the family would be better off without them. Yeah. Those are such difficult symptoms to mm-hmm. experience while um, having a baby and having to take care of somebody else and trying to figure out which way is up. It, that, and that's without uh, postpartum depression. Um, mm-hmm. Things can feel like that. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. So there's a lot of misconception around postpartum depression and baby blues, and I often hear people mistakenly call baby blues depression and postpartum depression baby blues. Can you help us differentiate between the two? Of course. I hear this too from patients, from families, from clinicians, where Mm -hmm. the distinction is still challenging. And so I kind of think of this as there's a couple of things that are really different. And so we can focus there. So really one of the main things is severity. Then I look at onset and then the duration. And so 
baby blues are really characterized by more mild symptoms. They, they can start or peak several days right after childbirth. And they can include, you know, some similar things. They include some mood changes, feeling like your moods, quote unquote, on a roller coaster is what I hear. You know, women are worried, um, especially if there are some complications or with their delivery or with the baby's birth. There can be tearfulness or some irritability, some sleep difficulties. But, you know, mom's not impacted in her ability to care for herself or for her family. Um, she can feel overwhelmed, but still there's, there's not that impact on I try to make the difference that moms will will say to me, I find myself having these episodes of crying and I just don't understand why, because I'm happy to be a mom. I'm, I'm, I know I'm like stressed out right now, but mm-hmm. I'm like happy to be a mom, but I'm crying. Is, is that postpartum depression? And so you see this sort of lack of a link between their mood and their symptoms. So the mom's mood, you know, is happy. She's elated, but she's crying. So that is a key that we put baby blues. Rather, with a mother with postpartum depression, she does have feelings of sadness and loss of interest that are linked to the periods of of tearfulness or crying. And then if we look at the duration, these symptoms of baby blues will resolve usually within two weeks. So that two-week marker is really important because the symptoms of postpartum depression, when untreated or undertreated, may persist for months or over a year. So it's, it's, you know, postpartum depression is not the same for every woman. It definitely goes beyond just, you know, sort of the, the brief mood symptoms that many of us feel after delivering a baby. I think you mentioned a little bit earlier in some of your work that you're looking at these, what happens after delivery in terms of brain function and, and hormones and whatnot. Would you be able to talk a little bit about why that a baby blues period of time feels that way? Yeah. So, you know, it's surprising how little research has been done on women (laughs) during pregnancy and postpartum, given that many of us go through that experience sometimes once or multiple times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's just a, it's a disparity that we have to get beyond. And so there's more research in men than women. And and so we're going there and we're going to, we're going to figure out these answers. And so what we found is that, you know, the brain undergoes changes due to these hormones that we naturally make during pregnancy. The hormones have so many functions to prepare our bodies for the development of the baby and the birth of the baby, but our brain undergoes changes too, because the hormones prepare our brains to be mothers. And so Mm. it's important for our brain to make this transition and the hormones are a piece of that. What we find is that when the hormones then drop immediately after the the birth, that the brain then has to make an adjustment to the low hormone state. Mm -hmm. And so for some women, there's there's no perturbation. So there are no mood symptoms, no emotional changes, no behavioral changes. They're kind of able to do that reset sort Mm -hmm. of very quickly and smoothly without any symptoms. Then there's a group of mom and there's the majority, it could be as high as 70% of us where you know, there's, it's a little glitchy. And so there's, you know, so there's some symptoms of, you know, tearfulness or feeling overwhelmed, you know, a little irritable uh, with, with, with our, with our family members and others. And that just takes a little bit of time. And that's why it's a short period of time because the brain is able to, to adapt to the new hormonal setting. But then there's a subset of women 
And we've shown that their hormone levels look different in pregnancy than women who are able to reset without problems. And so already in pregnancy, the hormones are looking different. And after delivery, they continue to look different. And then our brain imaging research is showing that the women who develop postpartum depression compared to the women whose brain are able to reset pretty quickly without any glitches look different. And so the brain is, you know, really the different parts of the brain are not communicating with, with each other in the way they should. And so this really is a medical complication of pregnancy and delivery. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're looking at this with pictures of the brain. And sometimes I show the women who participate in my research, I can, she's like, you can see this in my brain. Yeah. I'm like, we can, we yeah, can. That's awesome. <laughs> and, and it just, you know, it, it gets rid of this horrible stigma that mm-hmm. they've done this to themselves or that they deserve this or that mm-hmm. they're a bad mom. And I'm like, no, just like I can check mm-hmm. your blood sugar and get a number. I can show you your brain and show you what PPD looks like. And so that's, that's why we're doing this research. And obviously to, to better predict who, you know, might have challenges with this transition in the future so that we can predict who's at risk in a little bit better way than we can right now. That is so exciting. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I really, I'm just thinking of all of the, you know, people sitting out there who are pregnant and and just had a baby and uh, this information, just what you said, that we can see this in your brain and it's not a you thing. Um, Mm -hmm. It just is incredibly relieving. And I think, you know, I hear a lot like, well, what is the, isn't it just the same as regular old depression? Yeah. What, like, what's the difference between postpartum depression and regular depression? And I think you just laid it out beautifully. There's a major difference, both because of the contextual factors of now, you know, being a new parent uh, and all the transition that happens with that, but there's, there are brain differences. Yeah. I mean, what you are describing is that there are real actual differences um, that are happening for these folks. Um, yeah, it's it's incredibly relieving. Um, I'm really excited about the work that you're doing. Thank you. What are the risk factors that would put a person um, in a, in a more likely position to develop depression in pregnancy or postpartum? Yes, women are more likely to experience perinatal depression. That's the depression either in pregnancy or after delivery um, if they've had a, a personal history of depression in the past. If they're under increased stressors, they may have had a history of some traumatic event, but also if they receive minimal support from family, friends, or community compared to women who receive that support. So we know that even in women with a history of depression or some of the other risk factors that maybe we can't change, there are things that we can do to support women throughout this perinatal period and even into what we consider the fourth trimester which is a uh, term now used by the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, of uh, these 12 weeks after the de- delivery. So it's not just, okay, the baby's out. It's there and beyond of providing support to women to reduce uh, the, the risk of perinatal depression at that time. Would, would you be comfortable with going in a little more depth to like what it can feel like for the person experiencing it, like what their experience is? Yeah. So the majority of moms that I I speak with um, in my clinical practice really share feelings of isolation and really a loss of self. 
there's the signs and symptoms that we use as our, our diagnostic criteria, right? As psychiatric professionals. But then there's this, there's this theme of isolation, loneliness, and a loss of identity. Like they don't know who they are anymore because mm-hmm. they all of a sudden they, they tell me they just sort of exist to take care of this little baby and they had to, you know, feed it and diaper it and, and make sure it's safe and, and do all these things and that their own needs or sense of self has disappeared. And that's a real, you know, abrupt change for women. And without support, I think that becomes a, a, a big risk factor for perinatal depression in many women. Sure. So, you know, I don't know what the numbers are currently or the guess is in terms of who actually gets support for this and who doesn't. I guess that largely depends on who's seeking support and what kind of questions are being asked when they go and see their providers. But there are many people who are suffering and don't get support, don't get the help that they need. What happens for those people? What are the long-term effects of postpartum depression? So there are effects you know, on obviously the, the, the new mother. And so she's impacted by the symptoms. It's, it's really hard to even get through a day. It's hard to take care of the baby. And if she has other children, other responsibilities uh, inside or outside the home, never mind do her own self-care and wellness. But also there's, there's impact on other family members. So the partner's mental health is impacted, we know from research, and also the children in the family. And we know from many decades of data that mom's symptoms can interfere with her ability to really, you know, attach to bond and and provide the emotional support that the infant needs in those very early days. And so the infant's mental and emotional development can be altered as well from postpartum depression. So it's just, I mean, from any way you look at it, but, you know, we have to care for mother. We have to Mm -hmm. care for mom. And in pregnancy, we have to do a better job of supporting mothers during this period of time for for mom's sake and Mm -hmm. for the baby's sake and for family's Mm -hmm. sake, for society's sake. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and going back to pregnancy for a moment, in terms of, you know, the people that I meet with, uh, moms who are pregnant and experiencing symptoms of depression, sometimes very severe depression during pregnancy, there's a lot of hesitancy around you know, even therapy sometimes, but certainly even once they're in therapy, accepting the help of and support of medication becomes, you know, sometimes a struggle for them because they're worried about, oh, if I take a medication, it's going to hurt my baby. But what they don't quite know is that the depression itself might have an impact on pregnancy. Um, So what happens, I guess, what are the risks of untreated uh, depression in pregnancy? Yeah, so there are risks of untreated depression in pregnancy and after delivery, and they're a little bit different. Um, And so we we really do strive. We see this so often that, you know, women who even come for an evaluation um, are maybe not ready to accept either any of the psychological therapies or medication options that are available. And so... um, you know, we, we want women to understand that not treating depression is, is not without risk, right? And so mm-hmm. we know that uh, women, especially with more moderate, severe depression and pregnancy can have higher rates of birth complications or earlier delivery, um, smaller babies delivering sooner than 
women without depression, but also then, you know, the, we're still trying to understand how stress and depression in a pregnant woman can have effects through the placenta to the unborn baby and, um, you know, beyond the birth complications, but with the baby's brain development going forward. And so there are now brain imaging studies that other groups are doing on these little, little ones, like two weeks, uh, you know, after birth mm-hmm. that are trying to see the difference in a brain development when babies are born to women with depression or born to moms without depression or anxiety. And we're seeing differences in that brain development. And so now studies are following those little ones as they develop to see how we can support both mom and the baby's child development, you know, going forward. There are risks when we don't treat. And, um, and as you noted, it is challenging. It is you know, we just stick in there with the mom and it, it could take a couple months yeah. before she's ready to maybe uh, participate in a group, you know, group psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we educate, educate, educate. Um, and then, you know, for more severe cases of medications indicated, but really we, we want to really encourage women to have the support that they need from friends and from family. I can't underestimate that. I can't state it enough, but also evidence-based psychotherapies and interventions for them as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. I feel like, especially for for women who are dealing with very severe symptoms, they feel the depression itself makes it harder to move forward with other kinds of support, like some even groups or, as you said, if needed or if indicated, a medication. Um, But the, the depression itself makes it hard for them to accept the help because they are often just feeling like failures and 
um, sometimes there's a lot of, you know, that that feeling of, well, I should be able to to do this myself or that they're so protective of the, the baby in pregnancy that they don't want to hurt the baby. It's just a really, really difficult spot when the sort of disease of depression itself is the, the barrier sometimes to getting that help. Yes, there is actually a a recent survey done by Healthy Woman. Um, it's a nonprofit National Women's Health Resource Center. And they recently conducted a survey of more than a thousand US adults. And they found that nine in 10 moms feel the pressure to do it all on their mm-hmm. own after mm-hmm. the baby's born. So exactly as you said, there's this, this strong feeling that they're going to push through it and they're mm-hmm. going to do it and they're going to take care of that baby. And, you know, again, in this study, of those who said they would not discuss their postpartum depression symptoms with anyone, a third of them cited not wanting to bother anybody. Mm. Other said the guilt and the embarrassment. Can you still believe that oh. it, in this time where we're, we're having women feel guilt and embarrassment and not wanting to bother others? And so, so yes, you said it um, exactly. That's what we're still seeing today. Um, of moms who don't, who are not feeling, don't, are not empowered to get the help they need and support they need at this critical time. Wow. Yeah. That just highlights how much work there still is left for us Mm -hmm. (laughs) to do. There, there are not enough mountaintops apparently to scream this from that. It's not a a them problem and that there's help. So in terms of prevention or lessening intensity of symptoms or preparing having a plan of care, what can people do to prepare for life um, with the baby in these early days? Yeah. So it's, you know, I think all the preparations that that women are accustomed to doing are, you know, getting the the nursery all set and getting the mm-hmm. car seat and reading the books that you're going to need and, mm-hmm. you know, to figure out how, how many times is the baby going to pee and how often do I need <laughs> right. to feed them? And, you know, sort of all the basics. But I think what doesn't happen is that um, they fail to develop a plan for the postpartum period after the baby arrives and, mm-hmm. and to, to, to ask the difficult questions about what could I potentially need to, you know, transition emotionally uh, into this period? And how mm-hmm. can I prioritize my emotional health? You know, do I have a support system in place to help with this transition? And who will I turn to if I'm right. overwhelmed? And so Again, from that that survey by Healthy Woman, seventy-six um, percent, you know, said that they created a birth plan uh, leading up to the baby's arrival, but only twenty-one percent created a plan that focused on their own emotional health after the baby was yeah. born. And we just know from from many other studies outside of this one that lack of support and a transition plan in this postpartum period is associated with with higher rates postpartum depression. And we do know that also a higher percentage of Hispanic and Black women report inadequate social support and poor access to their healthcare providers in that early postpartum period compared to white women. And so we do really want to um, think proactively, not once we get there and the babies, mm-hmm. you know, you're looking at the baby, you're like, okay, what now? Well, wow. But rather, you know, prior to mm-hmm. and, and developing that sport support network to think through their maternal mental health wellness plan before the baby's born. That seems to be really key in 
prevention for sure. Um, and you, you've talked a lot about social support and how important that is. And it sounds like from what you're describing, um, there are many routes to that you've listed, you know, someone you can confide in or support groups or family or other care providers. Are there supports outside of social support that you recommend that uh, you've seen to be supportive in either pregnancy or postpartum? Yeah. So we know that when moms are supported, they do better in this, in this transition to motherhood timeframe. So there's actually a, a new program called check on mom that, you know, for me really provides great resources to help women and their partners think through the maternal mental wellness plan. And it really, you know, for me is all the things that I would want for a mom when she's pregnant to be getting in place. It includes resources, uh, including a tool to help create a wellness plan for their emotional health, and that it helps capture each mom's needs. So it's it's personalized because each woman is different of what they might need or how they might prioritize things in their postpartum period. Women have the opportunity to designate a group of trusted friends and family known as a mom team. I so wish I had this with my two little right. ones. Right. <laughs> I mean, the, I might had still support. need it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I was fortunate and I had family support who was mm-hmm. there cooking me meals and washing my dishes and and helping out. But if I had this beforehand, but it's to empower women for her postpartum period. The mom team is designated by the mom of people who could be helpful for her during this transition. They receive a bracelet as a, as a wearable reminder to keep checking in on mom. And it's actually mycheckonmom.com. And oh, I you, love that. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, you could start in pregnancy and you can keep doing it, you know, so everyone's ready for that fourth trimester and beyond. But there's also access to inspirational content and helpful information. Um, you know, I love that it's just educate, educate, educate. We got to <laughs> overcome this. I, you know, nine and 10 women that don't want to ask for help. And, and so to say, yes, you're going to need this and this is protective. And so there are, you know, resources of, um, you know, checking symptoms across the mm-hmm. peripartum period. How, you know, how do you track signs and symptoms of your mood? And then, mm-hmm you know, knowing the signs, having the the mom know the signs, but also her mom team. And and they get this through resources on the mycheckonmom.com, but also there's, you can sign up for text alerts that are really just full of education and resources. And, you know, as I said, each mom's going to have different needs. They're going to want different people involved. And it might be that some moms need help with, like I did, with meal prep and dishes and laundry and just mm-hmm. sort of, you know, daily things. But um, it could be with older children. It could be with, you know, other priorities, like, you know, for women of getting a good night's sleep, you know, to make sure that they're doing that or getting, taking a shower. No one knew it was going to be so hard to find time <laughs> to take a shower or brush your teeth, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so to have a team, a mom team ready to support you, checking in with you, it's part of the plan. There are no surprises. I think just that just provides tremendous support for women at this, this, uh, this time of need. That is a, an awesome resource. And I think the word you used um, and to empower moms is just so fantastic because uh, you know, when you, sometimes when you tell someone that they are, they need help, 
that, you know, that can register as like, well, I'm, I'm weak or I'm not able to do enough or, you know, this, I should be able to do it by myself. Baloney <laughs> comes up. <laughs> um, so the shifting that perspective uh, to this being about empowerment um, and about having a healthy and, uh, uh, you know, happy or, or a smooth transition into parenthood is really what it's about. It's not about somebody having some kind of weakness that they, you know, need this team for. It's creating the village. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I think, again, we, we have to, we, we as women, I think, you know, we can, we can get the instructions, you know, when we leave labor and delivery or we have a home birth, we have some instructions of, you know, sort of how to take care of our physical issues, you know, from, from delivery. And, you know, there's things that we need to take care of and do that. This is taking care of our brain health. And so mm. having a plan in place to take care of our brain and to understand that pregnancy has physical effects from our brain to our toes. You know, mm-hmm. we got edema, we got swelling in our ankles and hormone changes in our brains. And so it's really, we have to think holistically about maternal wellness and the check on mom program is a way of saying every mom deserves this. Every mom should be empowered to have this in place. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for that resource and for all of this information. I know for a fact that there are people out there listening who needed to hear this today and who learned something new. So I thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for inviting me to talk about postpartum depression today. And again, I just want to encourage your listeners to visit mycheckonmom.com to sign up and learn more, learn more about how we can take care of our brain health during this such important transition in our lives. Thank you so much. Thank you again. For anyone listening today who has resonated with any of the topics we discussed, is concerned for yourself or a loved one about symptoms of postpartum depression or any other perinatal mental health condition, please do consider reaching out to Postpartum Support International at postpartum.net. On there, you will find tons of information about what perinatal mental health conditions are, free support groups, as well as a provider directory. So that if you are looking for a perinatal mental health trained provider, you can look on that directory and find someone near you. I'm so grateful to have Dr. Della Janitas on here to really give us more information about postpartum depression. These kinds of conversations are what we all need to hear so that we can understand what's going on for us instead of having to be surprised by it. Please do know the resource that she mentioned is available to you as well as Many of us perinatal trained providers are here and available to help you through whatever it is you're going through related to your pregnancy or postpartum journey. Thank you all so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. 
feel like you're the martyr in your family, you're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.